All right. So if you're familiar at all with this program, and I'm assuming that you are because here you are, uh, you know I like to start things off with a literary quote, maybe something from Aristotle or Shakespeare or Socrates, but not this time. Nope. I'm going to dispense with the pseudo-intellectualism and get right to the show. Why? Well, because I love this interview so much and I can't wait for you to hear it. It's that simple. So let's get to it. I'm Alex Green, and as Socrates once said, (laughs) this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. It's silly to say, maybe you make everyone feel this way. I'm telling my heart, this ain't no place for love to start. You colors been creeping in, flirting in shadow, painting light on an old tin. Every line you draw, I bend. Every glance you give, I linger. Gray shades waiting on your beckoning. Ooh, ever since I met you, I've been holding out to brush against you. But you got someone at home. It's silly to say, maybe you make everyone feel. I'm telling my heart This ain't no place for love to start It's steady to say Maybe you make everyone feel this way If loving you is wrong Then how come you keep hanging on? How come you're hanging on? That is the music of my guest today on the program Michelle Willis Let me tell you a little bit About Michelle Willis All right, so Michelle Willis has one of those voices that's so stirring, it makes you feel things you didn't know you felt. Actually, let's take that one step further. Her voice makes you feel things you didn't even know you could feel. Yeah, she's that good. All right, a little background. The Canadian singer-songwriter and keyboardist decided to hit the 212 back in 2016, which really just means she moved to New York from Toronto. And once she did, it didn't take long for her to make her mark. What do I mean by that? Well, put it this way. She secured a monthly residency at the Rockwood Music Hall, and just two months later, she was touring in two bands led by David Crosby and one by Becca Stevens. Shortly after that, the ball that had gotten rolling started rolling faster. She opened for Snarky Puppy and toured and recorded with the Zac Brown Band, Iggy Pop, and Michael McDonald. Her sophomore album, Just One Voice, which is the follow-up to her 2016 debut, C.S. Through, is one of my favorite albums of the year. Soulfully precise and filled with smooth grooves, lustrous melodies, and luxurious pop hooks, Just One Voice is a straight-up knockout. And Michelle Willis, it turns out, is an absolute joy to talk to. So let's get to that joy, shall we? Here we go. Me and Michelle Willis, having a conversation, right here. On Stereo Embers, the podcast.
I feel like my sense of you is that you have a very calm demeanor and you don't get rattled easily. That is a beautiful skill that I seem to um, emit to the world. Uh, I wouldn't say is necessarily true, but I think when other people are stressed, I, I like recognize what my role is to kind of keep the ship going. Um, but my whole life, even when I performed and was nervous as hell, I, I would like talk to people afterward and they'd be like, oh, you look so confident and calm up there. And I was like, I was being my pants. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think it's, it's I'm, I'm glad that uh, it appears that way. Well, I do think that, you know, there is an improvisational element to being a person. Do you, do you find that you're, that you can pivot and you can improvise pretty well? Um, no, that's actually a, a thing that, well, uh, in my circle of friends and the people that I surround myself with, I feel like um, I'm always learning how to be better at that. But then when I leave my world and I'm around people who maybe aren't musicians or in the arts world, I, I, I realize like, oh, I'm pretty relaxed. <laughs> yeah. Actually, a pretty relaxed person, but among my friends, I think like I'm really uptight and high strung, um, and and I am. It is it is like my ongoing, um, you know, martial art uh, in in playing music. I don't take martial arts. I shouldn't use that as, as an example as a reference, but it just feels like when I'm performing live. Um, no matter how comfortable I am with the music or with the people that I'm on stage with, even if it's my own music with friends that I've had for 10 or 15 years, um, it's constantly like a lesson in submitting to the moment, which is improvisation and, and, um, and letting things take flight and, and relinquishing control and just seeing where it goes and, and look being in front of, a hundred people who have paid money to, to see me excel. <laughs> right. That's actually why they're there. Like excelling could be so many things. The reason that people are there are because they want to have a moment of release and they feel something like that when they hear my music or anyone's music. And they, they just want, they, they want to experience something. And, uh, and ultimately that's kind of, that's the goal for sure on stage is like, how to submit to the moment um, instead of trying to control it and, and tell myself what it should be. Um, I also, I, I think also that it's good to know the, the audience is rooting for you. They oh, want you to do well. Exactly. <laughs> right. Oh, always. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, so part of that submission to that moment is that shedding the ego or shedding expectation or consciousness or all three? Is that all, all of that and so many things? I mean, we all have whatever critical person is in our head, or you know, choir that's in our head. And um, for me, it's for me. That's a silly joke that I have with friends that doesn't matter here. Um, uh, when I'm on stage, yeah, it's what. I, I guess it's the ego 
and again, I mean, I'm using terms that are borrowed from something that I don't claim to have a deep knowledge of, but um, it's what people are going to think of me if I uh, go for this thing. As, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, they're going to think I'm going to sound really good, when, and then I never sound good in that moment. <laughs> I always like, I always lose the line somehow because I'm thinking about that rather than being in the sound, you know, um, uh, soloing, trying to play cool shit when you're improvising, like actually just playing a solo. Meanwhile, I'm not listening to how people are reacting to what I'm playing and that, you know, everything about that moment has to be in a relationship of like, people respond even like the crowd responding and then like yeah you want this and I got this and you got that and I want that you know like it's got to be that and the band and the thinking and the critical thing and the anything other than that doesn't help it just doesn't help no whether or not it's you know right or wrong it's like it just doesn't help so it's there's no point in, in letting that take over was your inner critic, even as a young child, pretty developed pretty early on? I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Hmm. I don't, I, I don't know, really. I'm, I, it's funny, I did the, um, the artist's way, Julia Cameron's book. Um, we started it in February of 2020. So do you know that book? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so there's all these, for people who are listening who don't know, there's all these prompts that are like, describe yourself at eight years old, write a letter to yourself at 80 years old, write a letter to yourself at seven, and, and like, what was your favorite pasta? And so you're just constantly writing out these lists and um, letters to yourself. And I, when I was doing that, I realized, oh, actually all of my feelings of being a kid, first of all, I don't remember very much about what who I was and what I liked and didn't like as a kid. I feel like I was on the wall. Like I feel like I didn't have a personality as a child. And my mom would disagree with that and I'm sure my siblings would too. But my memory for whatever reason, I just feel like I didn't really I was like a blob. And 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 also that I didn't like that about me. I didn't like that I I don't I don't know. So my, so my, to answer your question, I think maybe, um, maybe there's more to that than I'm aware of. Like maybe I, there is a lot more of a critic. There's, there was definitely an observational quiet kid, um, who, you know, who's my, my memory is just sort of watching and being quiet and being sort of afraid to speak up and all of those things. So, I'm not really sure yet. I haven't, I didn't finish the 12 chapters. <laughs> I was going to ask. Chapter 10. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it got pretty apocalyptic by April um, of 2020. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm not really sure yet. I haven't really f gotten to that part in my uh, therapy. But um, I know that at a certain age, I, I or actually from the beginning of me like playing music on the piano at like four, it was always an escape and a, 
form of release and um it was a place to exist that that was really free and it was mine and it was an adventure and exploratory and um yeah is that when you can sort of start tracing the when you start to emerge from the primordial childhood blob that you're talking about when you emerged as a character <laughs> was it was it through music would that be the obvious place where we saw like maturation and individualism start to kind of come yeah, forward for sure yeah even in high school i started uh i like entered a pantene pro v songwriting competition with the help of my teacher and uh and i made a couple friends that played music with me charles james who's actually on the live record that i made in 2019 um charles and i went to high school together and we performed my music for the first time, I think in 11th grade. And that, and I had been singing in choirs my whole life. I had been journaling in my chicken soup diary um, <laughs> and like plenty of other journals as, as a little kid. And, um, but it wasn't until I started doing that, I mean, publicly, performing music that I had written that people started to be like oh you write songs okay cool and that became like yeah and I had this secret journal I'm gonna carry around and never let anyone see but you can just know that I have it because that means that I have emotions um and uh so it definitely became an identity I can remember being even in middle school and liking that people saw me that way that I was like this you know broody brooding moody uh musical kid and then I remember getting to college too and being like oh I found my people you know so it, it definitely sort of in a way was an identity and then also became more of an identity the more I surrounded myself with people like that it's interesting because I'm a writer and it took me a long time before I could look in the mirror and say, you are, you are a writer. I recognize you as that guy. For right. Sure. Yeah. So when you sort of like, when you, when people say, Oh, you write songs and you went, yes, I do write songs. Mm -hmm. When did were you able to sort of metaphorically look into the mirror and say like, that's, this is who I am. This is, and it feels good. Mm. I had a moment at the end of college. It was like the first really big, production that I put together but it was like through my school program but it was an hour-long concert of all my own music and that was even though I had done these little performances here and there that was the first time that like a big audience of people had come to see all this music and was like oh you write songs but even that I mean I've I felt really proud of that and it really pushed me because I felt how people reacted to it um, and I knew that there was something to that. But I don't think, I would say it wasn't until like a few years ago mm. that I started to, and I'm 35, maybe after, um, maybe after the Here If You Listen record that we made with Crosby and Becca and Michael, um, I think that started to, make me realize that it wasn't just like, oh, I write my songs, my, my like, thinky little ding, 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 you know, like, 
I'm, I'm uh, contributing to something that I'm proud of and that I recognize as good work um, on, a, on a public platform that, that I see can exist alongside other things, you know, and other people's work. And I, I remember the first time, uh, I don't know if it was the first, but it was like a, a concert that we did, all four of us, and performing that music. It had I had already been touring with Cross in a in both of his bands for a while, and I always had a bit of imposter syndrome. And I feel we were at a festival in Miami, um, the Ground Up Music Festival, which my label puts on. And it was the first time that I was like, okay, I know why I'm here. I did this thing. We did this together. I'm good at this. Great. I know why I'm here. I feel like it's okay for me to be here and just be myself, you know? So maybe that was, it was around that time. I think it's good for people to hear. Cause I think it's, it's important to kind of realize that like, you know, you don't just jump in fully formed. You have to sort of like claw your way to confidence and to feeling like let's shed the imposter syndrome. David Crosby thinks I'm okay. <laughs> like let's, let's get on with it. Right. But then you can all like, you know, you can all read if whatever insecurity you have, you can breathe that into any compliment that someone gives you. People can say beautiful things to you for 20 minutes and you just hear the things that they don't say that you wish they would say. And therefore, if they didn't say it, then you're still shitty at that thing. You know, yeah, it's um, I, I have repeated um, Ira Glass's. Uh, quote on um, obviously not that many times because I don't have it memorized, but his the, the the concept of of this quote that he made about just like making work, and that when you start out, your standards are really high. You do all this work, you study, you study the greats, you study the people who are the best, and that you idolize, and you study usually only their best works, and not the mountains of work that they don't publish or that they did, but no one talks about because they weren't that good. You study the best of the best, and so your standards are really high, but your output and your your quality is really low, and that's just natural. You might have talent, but you're still technically new. And so, and I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing, but, um, but that, yeah, you have to just keep making and, and releasing and publishing work. And that the more you do, the more you, you can get the kind of gunk out of the way. And it's like brainstorming or songwriting in general. It's like at the beginning, you just write down everything that's coming to your head and you don't edit it. You just kind of like let it get down on the page and then you refine it and you start to, it's like only by making the work do you start to say like, oh, I see these patterns. <laughs> it's like getting older and like, oh, I've had 10 relationships like this. I keep doing the same thing, you know, yep. out. that was my problem, you know? Um, so I, I, everything is like that and work especially. Yeah. So I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, even though I don't practice this and I'm trying to get better at it and just releasing work, saying goodbye, moving on to the next one and letting, letting the work kind of gradually teach you, um, what your skills are. <laughs> the work that you don't love mm -hmm. is part of the process. I mean, right? Like 
I, I'm sure there's a lot of artists out there who don't, there are certain albums they made, they don't, they don't stand by anymore. Um, totally. But you have, that's part of it, right? We were talking about Stevie Wonder the other day and like, man, his music has had a profound impact on me. And there's also maybe equal to the amount of songs of his that I worship. There's probably equal amount of songs that I don't like and never want to listen to. Right. <laughs> the guys made like, how many songs? I mean, what, hundreds? Hundreds of songs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the songs that I don't like, people like. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. It's whatever. Right, exactly. Exactly. I might not like any of those songs. You know, like we all have songs that we're like more proud of than others and and often they're not the ones that people like you know or or they're not the ones that get celebrated sometimes and so yeah it's funny I was thinking about Billy Joel the other day and I was thinking like who I love I love him and I, I thought but I think like all these years later does he does he still stand by pressure <laughs> is that one of the ones he stands by because I feel like that was like maybe not one of his finest moments but I wonder, like all these years later, is that songs that you disavow or you just kind of go, I don't know what I was doing. It was part of the zeitgeist. I was giving it a shot. You gotta laugh at yourself. Yeah. You laugh at yourself. I, yeah. I mean, in general, in life, if, if like you can't acknowledge that you were an asshole when you were 20, then you're not alive. <laughs> that is so true. I was such an asshole when I was 20, I think. We're all assholes. Even if we were nice people, nice people are assholes too. It's nice to be able to kind of recognize that and go, but I'm not an asshole anymore. Yeah, or I'm an asshole in new ways that I've yet yeah. to understand. Right. Someone will tell me, I'm sure. <laughs> when I look at your your story, your biography, because um, you were raised in Toronto, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about your your artistic trajectory. And for me, braided into your story, is a current of confidence mm -hmm. that I think has to be recognized. The idea that I'm going to go to New York with, with very mm -hmm. little in the way of, of what's going to happen next, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to make that trek. Um, being able to, to share a stage with David Crosby, being able to collaborate with Michael McDonald, those are things that are I mean, there's a, there's a strength in you that, I mean, cause that's a, just saying that makes me sweat, you know? <laughs> um, so can you, can you talk a little bit about the idea that where that confidence started to kind of dawn on you that you had, or, or had you thought of it that way? Um, I was in a band with two gentlemen, uh, Don Rook and Hugh Marsh and Hugh, especially really, uh, and, and Hugh and I were also together for three years in the midst of that. And he um, just, and still to this day, always reminded me to just dream about it. Like who would be, just like write it down, who would be the dream people to produce this, to play on this, just put them all, make the, stage plot you know write their names on it and put your name there and okay what's stopping you like he's someone who he's older than me and, and he wrote i think he like sent a tape that he made to prince um 
I think he had a record on Warner or something at the time. So it wasn't like it was that and he was like some guy in a, I, I don't know. I don't know how he got it to him, but somehow he got it to him. And Prince wrote him back and was like, yeah, we'd like to use this. And in the end, it, it he didn't go through with it. The contract was pretty intense, as you can imagine. But um, it's stuff like that. It's like, well, ask, you know, see if you know anybody with the phone number and, and call. Um, and and not only that, I, I think in that band especially was where I I had just graduated school. I was like 20 years old and playing with these guys who were much older than me and like musical heroes, you know, so deep in improvisation and, and also in the Toronto music scene in general. Um, and it was a roots band that was kind of just experimental and roots instruments in songwriting structure forms. Um, and then otherwise it was just weird weirdness. <laughs> And uh, it started, it grew from a band called the Henrys, which actually, they released, I think, their their record today or a single as well. Mm. Um, I haven't been a part of the band for years now, but uh, anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is that playing with them made me look around and the guys that were playing in that band, I was just kind of like, these guys are really heavy musicians. <laughs> and they think that I'm cool, you know, like they think that. They want me to be in this band. There's there's like something happening here that I don't necessarily feel about myself, but that I'm gonna trust um, this trajectory. And I think the more that I played and, and as I was saying before, like felt people's reactions and recognized it as something different, you know, than what I would see or feel in other performances. And, um, Again, it's like the more you do the thing, the more you realize what the thing is. You you don't really know what the thing is until you throw it a, against the wall or see it, uh, see someone's reaction to it. We were talking about this last night, um, Fab and I and Louis Cato and his girlfriend, the four of us were through a few bottles of champagne at midnight last night. Um, and we were talking about mixes and how, uh, you play a mix for someone not to hear what their opinion is, but to have another body in the room while you're listening to something you just worked on for six hours. And it's, it's not even like what they say. It's like all of a sudden, just another body in the room. You're like, Oh yeah. Oh no. Okay. Thank you. Bye. And then you go and you do your revisions. Just having another human being interact makes you uh, aware of what something is. And this is a super long-winded way of saying that the more that I was playing music, the more I, I started to notice the people who were around me. And then I met um, Mike League and Snarky Puppy. And and he started asking me to open for them whenever they would come to town and asked me to open for them in Texas for a week. And I got to meet Bobby Sparks. And Bobby would, like, set up my gear for... Do you know Bobby? I know who he is, yeah. Yeah. And... And uh, Bobby was like, and still is like the such a huge supporter of me, and 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 someone like that, and and Mike too, and, and people um, seeing something in me that I felt was true to me, that, that where I feel like if I'm 
and I'm in my best place and I'm playing music, then I'm true to something that is so sacred to me. It's like a place that I think all musicians have. It's like where you exist in a true way. It's a kind of, I mean, talking about music is dancing, like, what is it? Dancing about the architecture or something? Yeah. yeah. The old Elvis Costello quote. Yeah, for my new age uh, uh, terminology, but um, all of that has gradually, every time I look around and see another person that I really respect and, and that I feel a lot for musically um, coming around and the truth is favors uh, and like lucky, you know, room at the right time kind of stuff. Yeah, that'll happen maybe, um, but it doesn't happen repeatedly, mm. you know, and, and there's, I, I know that I've been very lucky in my life and I've also been ready. <laughs> and sometimes I haven't been ready. Sometimes I really shat the bed, but um sorry i shouldn't swear on you no you can you can swear <laughs> <laughs> you can handle it uh i i think that i've it's all it's always everything it's like i always carry a certain amount of like i'm just like this ragamuffin kid who i can't believe that you know my name you know um combined with i know that there's something in me that um at the very least among so many other people across the world that when i play music and when i specifically play my own music but also if i'm just working with another person and playing their music there's something that i do that connects with people and i see that and that's not anything about good or whatever it's just it's just what it is and i um I think that's what you see as confidence, um, but it doesn't necessarily do anything or like carry you. It's not the thing that will like um, make you practice or make you spend all your savings making a record or send emails and coordinating and scheduling and, you know, or maybe, it, maybe it's only that. Maybe that's like the only thing that like, convinces you to believe in yourself maybe it's just that like shred that's definitely not the emails <laughs> the admin it doesn't cover the admin part of it <laughs> emails surprisingly are not that inspiring um yeah so I, I know that was like a really roundabout answer but I, I think moving to new york um was about dreaming and i think i've always been encouraged to dream big and then just try and and um and i am full of doubt and full of insecurity and this whole record actually is an example of the myriad insecurities that i have um and for that reason it's quite uncomfortable for me to to um listen to the lyrics sometimes when i when i saw them all in one place i was like there she is all the spots all, all the, the spots <laughs> what is the Saul Bellow quote an open wound of a person yeah that's that's kind of what it felt like but also the music was a place for me to put all that stuff 
and feel like I could, you know, uncover it and, and be compassionate to myself um, in a, in a meaningful way. Um, and that's what they all existed as is like a place to sort of work out what I was not so happy with within myself. I get that because I, I remember years ago, Chris Isaac put a record out where he, it might have been the San Francisco Days album, I can't remember, but every song was written about one of the same person who had broken his heart, mm. right? And a friend of mine at the time, she said, she thought that was weird, like, mm. oh, weirdo, stalker or something. And I remember thinking like, no, he's processing it. Like he's actually like, it's the healthiest thing he could do, right? Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of stalking. It's actually processing. It's, it's actually the most organic um, way of working that stuff out. Did you feel a kind of cathartic cleansing when this record was over, when it was written? I feel it today. <laughs> <laughs> right, as we're talking right now. Today, as the record is finally out. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm like with those songs, encased in those songs are a lot of emotions that, uh, and, and sort of patterns and reactions that I no longer carry as intensely. They're still there, you know, but they're not as intense. And, um, much of that music was written in my late twenties. Oh, yeah, and uh, or started writing, written, and 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 then, um, and then the last song on the record, "Black Knight," was the most recent song, and I wrote that in twenty eighteen, <laughs> which is crazy to call recent, but but it was the the most recently written on that record, and and that song was really like the coda of that period of my life, I feel like um, both, both like what the song was about and in terms of the writing too, it's like things just started to take a different direction. And, um, and I finally, you know, you make like New Year's resolutions. I'm, I'm where you call them, whatever. Now people just hate the word resolutions, but they do something else. They're like aspirational goals. It's not a resolution. <laughs> Don't tell me it's a resolution. Anyway, so I'm both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I have like a thing um, that I started doing that year, which was I would go to, um, I, I rented a tiny house in, in upstate New York. And I was there for four nights over New Year's. And I, in that time, I like wrote down everything I could remember from the last year that I'd gone through and it, all the kind of gunk that I was trying to let go of. And you do these things, right? And you, you're like, I'm going to be a better me. I'm totally going to, I'm not going to be whiny anymore. Um, and then the next day you're like, mom. Um, but I finally felt like I was capable of putting that stuff behind me and keeping to it. And that I have this line, a promise to yourself is a promise that shall not be undone. And I finally felt capable of keeping that promise to myself, which we all go through stages of breaking our own promises to ourselves, right? And um, and there's always wobbliness too. Um, 
there's definitely been some wild, wobbly backwards stepping in, in some of those things, but I feel like it's moving forward and, uh, yeah. Rambled again. Lost no, no, I love it. And you, <laughs> and also like, there's this idea that like crisis plus time equals humor. And I think the equation for healing is time plus creativity equals mm. healing. I, I've always felt that because I remember when I was in university, I, there was a girl I loved and she didn't love me. And mm. I went back and I wrote these poems for her, right? Mm. And I remember years later, I looked at the poems and I thought, oh, I remember writing these and I couldn't remember her name. Amazing. Right? I love that so much. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. It's like, oh, I'm better. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm not gonna die from broken heart. Right. Right. It just felt that way for six and a half months, but yeah. it went away. You know. So did her name. You gonna fight all your life without a foe inside. Yeah, you're a trigger just waiting. But you bring them out and it's only you who's bleeding through the night Honey, you ain't got no right Right, right And I hope someday we soon
you play a song for somebody that you've just done and they're in the room, the body that is there changes the molecules of the environment and you're hearing it as they're hearing. It's, it's almost like it's transactional in this really interesting way. Mm-hmm. For you playing these songs live, you know, even though it's this part of your life that has, you know, you've, you're healed, you've healed from, you feel good about dragging those songs back into the light, playing them for people would be a whole entirely new raw experience. Not that it would bring up old emotions. I mean, it might, but also it's like, you now get to see how those songs will land on other people and then reflect back to you. Totally. Totally. I, I, uh, my last record, I had a song called Trust Me. And um, that this whole idea was never more apparent than in that song, which I wrote um, for somebody in my life at the time that uh, was lying all the time to us and to herself. And 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 it got to the point and she was really young and, and it got to the point where you could tell that it was like boy who cried wolf. You know, there were moments where she really wanted us to believe something. And we'd say, okay, this is what's happened in the past. So it's natural for me to question and make sure that this is really happening. And so I'm going to, and so she, no matter how loving and supportive you try to be, there's a trust that's broken, right? And and anyway, the, the whole song was just about the redemptive nature of trust and how someone um, reinstilling a sense of trust in you makes you then feel like you're capable of trusting yourself and that whole process and the back and forth and nature of it. So to me, it was kind of a dark song, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. just how you don't trust yourself and how, how horrifying I could, I could feel how horrible that moment was for her where she was like, you have to believe me. And it's like, I want to believe you but I can't, it's, I just, I can't. And, um, and that's a really fearful moment for a person. And that's what I felt like the song was, but, you know, fast forward, um, two really close friends of mine who don't know each other, uh, at separate times asked me to perform that song at their wedding. And that was their favorite song on that record because I think it, it wasn't until I was literally standing there singing it as this couple was walking down the aisle that I realized that what it was really about was the redemptive power of a relationship and, and, and of being broken. And, and, and when you finally really feel like someone sees all of your ugliness and all of the stuff that we have carrying around that we carry around with us and that they love you and that they see that and they trust you and that you trust them, that you feel seen and you see them. And it's like, that's a redemptive thing. But I never put the song in that light at all. And that made it just so much more powerful to me. It was really emotional. Like literally as they're walking down the aisle, I'm singing and I'm like, oh my God, flip the whole thing on its head, you know? So That's a really perfect example of what I was talking about. And I think that I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So it's been coming up in conversation, but how, how art is, it's interesting. Art is a fixed thing on the timeline. So it's a painting in a gallery, but we are always transforming and changing. 
And in our transformations around that piece, the piece, the context and the meaning of it changes as well, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, maybe maybe you love the Joni Mitchell song, California, when you're 15, but you listen to it again at 30 and you're kind of like, oh, that's different because you're different, right? Yeah, always. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's like a, I, I, to the same degree that we're assholes at 20 and then when we're, you know, 35, we're like, that was stupid and unnecessary or i don't remember the name of the woman who broke my heart it's like everything changes and 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 the things that even a song of mine it'll rain today that um when i wrote i was like oh this will be a kind of celtic -y song billy joel um i wrote it as an exercise and and i i you know i had a lot of feeling when i was writing it for the person that i was writing it to but like the same time i was like okay you know i should really real songwriters do songwriting exercises i'm gonna and um and that ended up being this song that had a a, a big impact and, and and is by far the most listened to song of mine certainly in the last two years as well you know and it's just about getting through hard times um so nothing is ever what you think it'll maintain to be no <laughs> but even even songs that you that you loved at 20 when we were assholes it's like it's still some of that stuff you don't even need anymore it can't even change with you it can't even catch up to you totally which is weird yeah you know it's weird to think like i don't need those songs anymore they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna transform with me that's just not gonna happen so you do leave some stuff behind Yes, which I'm I'm now thinking of relationships and and how incredible it is that people um, who have been together for, you know, 40 or 50 years, because we do change so much and so much life happens to us. But that's really a road that I don't fully understand myself yet enough because I haven't been with somebody for 30 or 40 years yeah. every single time that i've sat down to write to translate unrequited love or whatever whatever it was in the back of my brain i was like let the healing begin because that process for me i always knew that's the way to do it for me yeah. for you as an artist do you feel that way as well where it's sort of like because it sounds like you've processed a lot of your emotions through your music that I've ever had that phrase in my head, but I, I do know that um, for one, I avoid sitting down and playing when I'm really low, which is such a weird reality of my life. Um, it's certainly the most, like when I'm really just in it for myself and you know, all the screens are away, it's the most uh, therapeutic place. Um, and for some reason, I avoid that. But when I start writing, yeah, I just start understanding it more. I start understanding what I feel more. I think I naturally, um, my brain runs a mile a minute. This is speaking to like appearing calm, but not being at all. Um, <laughs> my brain's running a mile a minute on what I feel, but I'm not saying it. Or putting it anywhere and i as the fast as fast as i'm saying what i feel i'm saying well 
the flip side of that is this, and they're probably going to think this, and like I'm trying to solve it and say, like, you don't really get to feel like that yet, and they are also feeling that, so you can, you know, it's like too many competing thoughts. Mm. So the music becomes a place to to make them simplified, and um, and I think as I develop as a writer, the more I appreciate um, a refined idea that a song is best to me when it's like, it's about this one word, three at most, you know, that's like my downfall. I mean, I'm the least, <laughs> this interview might be case in point. I have a hard time um, or it just takes me a, a little longer to refine my ideas. But a, a song when you, it, it helps me to understand like, oh, I actually just feel like this. Like Janet is just about feeling jealous. And that was so gross of an idea for me to admit, you know, I, and, th and that's kind of what the song, you know, in a sort of roundabout way. And, and this was, I'm sort of like on the, in the middle of that journey around the time that I wrote Janet of, of like just making it about one thing, but Janet, I told from the viewpoint of like an older sister version of me talking to a younger sister version of me, like, dude, it's fine. You know, just like, let this go. Jealousy is a thing that exists. It's dumb. Just let it go. It's not helping you. Um, and uh, I guess that's kind of putting a judgment on it. But I don't know that I would have admitted to myself that I was just jealous, like, and that that's all it is. Like, like you're saying with your poems of, of this, like all the things that you were feeling, it's like, oh, you were in love with this person and they just didn't want to be in love with you. And that's it. Like, it's actually quite simple, but when you feel it, it feels like so many things and you want to pick out all these things like, but they said this and that really meant something. And it's like, it, yeah, to simplify it is is the healing thing it's like talking to a friend right like you sometimes you end up saying things you're like oh i guess i do feel that way <laughs> yeah right right now that now that we're talking about it yeah <laughs> right it's also like the idea that you i like that every song sort of has a kind of thesis when you mm -hmm. really when you really strip it back yeah you know that it's always better for me if I can do that. I, I've started during the pandemic, I started teaching, you know, I'm teaching songwriting is kind of a crazy thing to put in a sentence, but um, <clears throat> I have a bunch of one-on-one -on -one students now and I really enjoy it. Um, and that's one thing that I try to get them to do, you know, as with, you know, at the beginning, it's like, who, who the hell knows what this is? about we it doesn't matter yet you know just get all the ideas down on the page but like as you start as it starts taking shape and you you're like trying to a b different ideas it's like okay well what's what's happening in this stanza like it looks like there's 10 things happening and i don't really know where i am so how, how can we just like make this have a feeling and a place and we know what's happening and that for me as a listener like uh, the last time I saw Richard, 
that song of Joni's, it's like, you feel the cafe, you feel the booth that she's sitting in, you see the bar, you see the woman with the coffee, like, you feel where you are. And that I, that's what I love about songs. And that doesn't mean it makes a good song. It, what's It's what makes a good song to me, you know? Um, yeah. It's also the idea that you, sometimes when you're writing the song, you'll get a kick out of this. It was like probably 1991, because I'm old. And I was in, I was in college and, and I was just leaving. The girl had just broken my heart, right? Which, which seems to have happened a lot. I'm really glad I was, we're like addressing this in your life. Right yeah, we're, it's coming up. It's coming up a lot. Podcast is your relationship. <laughs> when we're writing, we're sort of out, we're trying to outrun also. We're processing and we're also outrunning this emotion because it can be, it can be such a heavy wave, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think you have to engage in that sort of, the, the focus you're talking about in that song, that Joni song is like such a great example of like, grounding just getting grounded 100 like that's that is what music and writing is to me it's um yeah it's a place you know mike said this to me and I, i've since repeated this to him a couple times and been like okay admittedly i laughed when you said this to me because i thought it was so corny uh, and now it's like a mantra to me um mike league and um we were talking about uh, the fact that I had gone to my friend's cottage that, or my friend's family's land that they had purchased in Northern Ontario, Sudbury, home of the nickel. Uh, and they had bought this land and they invited all of their nieces and nephews and their nieces and nephews friends. Uh, and my friend and, and we went up there and spent, I think a month or something like that, chopping wood, putting the thing, nails, hammer, loved it. Every day, wake up, build more, eat, swim, build more, eat, swim, sleep, wake up, breakfast. And every day you'd see like a bit more of this house that was being built. You'd see the foundation. It's like such a beautiful, gratifying thing to see this thing that eventually they could all sit inside and have shelter and have the view. And oh, it was like incredible. And I remember just talking to Mike at the time about it and just being like, God, that's a lot more satisfying than like sitting on at the time as uh, base and like, yeah, where's the reverb, you know? And he, uh, he was like, really? He's like, I feel like when you, I'm, I'm paraphrasing again, but he was like, when you make a song, you're building a house for people to live in. And I was like, okay, Mr. Rogers, you know, but then now it's like the truest thing in my life. He's right. <laughs> that music is a place when you feel a certain feeling, you put a certain record on because that record allows a safety of that feeling that maybe you can't even articulate to yourself. You don't even know what it is. You don't know what the feeling is. You just subconsciously, you're like, you put, you choose that. And that is a place where you exist that wasn't there when it was quiet. And um, that's what the power of music is. It's a place to feel what you feel without any 
without any kind of words necessarily or judgment about it or, or um, not to use a trending word, but label. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. But sometimes you, it's interesting you say that because it depends on the mood, right? Because sometimes you want to be in that booth mm -hmm. with Joni. Other times you want to be somewhere in the sky, like, like Gord Downey, right? For like mm -hmm. Tragically Hip, it's like, I don't know, like his lyrics to me, mm. they're not in my, they're not linear, but they make so much sense to me. And if I'm in that sort of like, right, like I look at his stuff and I go, that's just, that mm. feels the way I feel. Yeah. You so, know? Yeah. Were, were you, were you a, a fan of that, of that band? I only, I was only like a fan of the hits of, of the hip, like, um, and, and actually on their last concert in, Kingston, I think it was. I don't think it was a Toronto show. I think it was Kingston, yeah. Kingston. And I was in New York and I was at this bar that I don't even know if it still exists, but it was like a Canadian themed bar. And they live streamed the concert from actually I think like Global or CBC live streamed the concert and, and they played it on a big screen. It was really emotional. Oh my God. And I I I don't think I ever met Gord, but I I don't think I did, but but uh, a lot of a lot of friends of mine were close with him, and um, I've only heard and seen just such piercingly beautiful fragments and stories of of his life and and the kind of character that he was in small moments and um, that those lyrics, yeah, and even just his voice. There's such a wiliness to it, and. Um, and as you say, yeah, like this, these kind of like fragments, nonlinear ideas that make sense. I mean, our brains don't make sense. Our no. brains are not like scheduled. They're not spreadsheets. Um, no. And they're not in any, we're not really in control most of the time. So yeah, no, and I don't mean to say that music is like um, an understood place uh, to exist about your feeling or where, where you know what you want kind of thing. It's just like, it's just this free world that, that makes sense in whatever unknowable thing in the unknowable way that it does. Yeah. It reminds me of like the idea that you, like I was watching a, a clip of the hip at Woodstock in 99 or something. Right. And I, and I looked at him and I thought he, he's operating at this frequency that either either you're going to get on board or you're just going to go what's happening but i love the fact that for him he was so self-actualized as an artist mm -hmm. and i would think like we should all be so lucky to be that self-actualized and i think it's taken me honestly i think in the last three years i've started to feel that i'm getting closer to what i hoped i would be mm -hmm. um and closer is not there but closer gord had it you know, at 20, but do you feel, sorry, finish. no, well, I was just going to say, do you, do you feel that you are, are getting to a, a comfortable place of the creative vision that you had sort of, um, maybe loosely, uh, envisioned for yourself? Um, it's a hard one. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just going to say that and this is sort of answering about myself too, 
who know, I mean, I guess maybe you know, or maybe I know people who knew him better, but who knows how Gord felt about how self-actualized he was. Right. You know, I mean, you started this interview saying that all of those steps that I took, took a lot of confidence, but I felt abject fear the entire time. <laughs> and so much of the record was like the anxiety before and after making some of those decisions um, and the complete lack of ground that I felt for a few years. Um, and in the process of making this was so many questions and, and decisions that needed to be made and constantly reinforcing or having to force myself to trust myself. Trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself. Um, I, I want to pull up something because I found it the other day and I'm, it might not be worth what, uh, I'm a, the time I'm about to take. But, um, I found this email that I wrote to myself, which sort of talks about what you're talking about. No, I can't find it. Um, and again, it's only when you kind of forget about the thing that, you know, your goals or your whatever, uh, knowing what your voice is and all this stuff, it's only when you kind of forget about it that you're like, oh yeah, I did that thing. That's cool. I forgot about it for years and now turns out I did. One of those things for me is like doing my taxes. I like, here it is, I found it. Okay. It's like when I do my taxes, I see the things that I spend money on. It's like, oh, I'm doing okay. You know, like I'm spending money on food and music and like making food for the people that I love and, and going to the Guggenheim. You know, it's like I'm proud of myself. I'm, I'm like investing in stuff that I like and that, um, okay, I'm, I might embarrass myself here. This is from February 6, 2015, and I moved to New York uh, a year and a bit later. Someone's at my door. Uh, it, it's usually they ring everyone's doorbell and just someone randomly says, yes, come in. So I wrote, commit to finding a home in music and sharing it, to learning the art of promotion but adopting my own way of doing so, perform regularly, perform with other people, share and learn from other people's music, work toward longevity, remain inspired, have the respect of my peers, develop an artistry, seek and research history of where you came from, what came before you. Um, so then I wrote some other things that I'm not going to read because it seems a little personal. So um, I found this the other day by mistake, and I thought of what I thought, said to myself when I graduated school. I was like, all right, you have five years. <laughs> if after five years you haven't, really grown if you if you're not in a better place than where you were now then you should stop playing music like don't don't keep playing music and drain yourself of all the joy that it is um just for the sake of saying that you're a, a musician or whatever and the rules were by in five years i wanted to be working with people who really challenged me um and uh and that I felt like, um, yeah, a mutual respect for. And uh, I can't remember what the other things were. 
to be in a, yeah, to be in like a more developed place to, to be a, you know, a better musician in that time and, and, uh, to feel expanded. And, and I look at this and this is 2015. So seven years ago. And I just think, yeah, again, hell of a lot of bumps along the way, but I feel like the idea of like longevity and not uh, it's so easy to get pulled into this weird uh, um, promoting thing and and all this other stuff that's around music that's not music. Um, and a thing that I keep having to bring myself back into is like, music is this. <laughs> this can just, and you can't see, but I got the, you know, the whirly here. This is where it lives, and this is where it's sparked. And then you share it with one person, and it becomes that, and, and, and then you share it for an audience, and it grows, and it morphs a hundred ways, and then you maybe record it and whatever. Um, but that the spark is the thing, and that's the thing that I think of painters, like, just painting every day and that that's just their place where they get to exist doing that art form and releasing whatever into the world for themselves and then you share the work but the actual thing that I am as a musician as a songwriter is writing the song myself and that's a thing that I have to do alone by myself and, and I anyway I, I look at this list and that's what longevity is to me is like every day being a musician and being with music um, in some form for myself. And that's the only thing that's going to keep me learning. Um, and learning is the only thing that's going to make me grow and expand and get to work with people that inspire me. And um, I think that I have always work to do on this list. But I, when I saw it, I was like, I feel like I'm doing some of that stuff. Yeah. And, and that um, I felt, yeah, a little, a little proud of myself for having some of those strands still. What made you write that to yourself in the first place? I write stuff like this to myself all the time. You do? Are you always emailing yourself? <laughs> now it's uh, the notes app. Yeah. But at the time, yeah, I would just send, I, when I was really lost, it gets like, I mean, it, it, it probably started as like me being like, I'm on, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and in the same way that writing in a journal, you'd start to distill what you think. That's kind of what writing emails to myself has been sometimes. It's a, I think the way that I write music is like allowing myself to be compassionate to myself. Mm. Um, I don't know why that is. I'm, I'm glad it is that way, but uh, yeah. I think we all should be compassionate to ourselves. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we forget mm -hmm. to be kind and forgiving in that way. Um, I'm curious about the part about, about personal history. Um, what did you mean by that? Where did I say personal history? Or history of research and history? In research history of where you come from, what came before you. Oh, um, my dad died when I was born. He died about three weeks later. He had colon cancer. And my mom had met and fallen in love with him um, a year and a half 
maybe two years prior. I can't remember the exact details anymore, but um, they have this really compelling love story that um, I grew up knowing. Um, and as we were talking about, uh, you know, how, how grief or feelings transform, that whole, my connection to that story, my connection to um, the word dad, uh, the, my connection to what, what I, what I have gained and, and lost or what I have, what I have and don't have, um, in terms of him and how my life has changed. That stuff is constantly evolving. And, um, uh, 2015, I think I had already, yeah, I, I, when I was 18, I went over to England and I had met a lot of his relatives before then growing up a couple of times, not very often, but um, when I was 18, I went to go visit them and spend more time with them. And uh, I think that phrase in particular was just about, like, I, I don't really know much further back beyond uh, my mom's mom, my Nana and my, her dad had died before I was born. And my dad's parents had both died, obviously, um, maybe not obviously, but they were also gone. So I had one grandparent growing up. Wow. And and I think when I was talking about feeling like a ragamuffin, I think that's part of that is like, I don't know what my background is. And it's also because I didn't take the time. You know, my mom now is on like Ancestry.com and all this stuff. And we're starting to learn um, about our family, which... Of course, like any family goes back. <laughs> yeah, they, they tend to. <laughs> they go yeah. back. But yeah. to me, it was like, who knows? I don't know. We're just a bunch <laughs> of mutts. I don't know. We all got different dads. So I I, I just have this feeling of like, well, I just have, I'm here. I'm, hi. You know, whereas other people are like, yes, my great, great grandparent uh, lived here. And then we're Scottish and we're, I, and I was always like, I don't know, we're Canadian. I was born in Italy. <laughs> That's all I got. You know, but now I know there's like, there's, there's Irish, there's Scottish, and there's French, which I was like, of course, I love food. I I love the French people. I'm obsessed <laughs> with cheese. That must be it. Um, I'm really pulling on the Seinfeld right now, but uh, <laughs> I know. What's the deal with cheese? What's the deal with French people? Uh, my manager is French now, and my producer is also French, just surrounded by him. Um, it's because of my natural inclination because that's I'm right. French. Uh, these things, you know, they're so you could go your whole life and not know anything about it and never bothers you. But finding out is like, huh, it tweaks something, you know, yeah. I don't know. It does, and it's interesting. And your was your father born in England? Yeah, North Yorkshire, so and he, I was actually born there as well. Oh, you were oh you're Brit you're born in England. I was born in yeah in England, and then we about a year later we moved um, to Canada where my mom was from. I think that's interesting. Yeah, no, it is because yeah, had, had he lived, we would have probably lived in England for most of my childhood, and I would have had a completely different life and accent. And I would have had a really cute accent. <laughs> this interview would be adorable with accents. 
fellow North. Well, maybe not the North Yorkshire. Well, actually, I love the North Yorkshire accent. It's a great accent. Yeah. Depending on depending on where you're from, you can or cannot understand uh, what people are saying. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, I know. Even with my, a lot of Scottish bands I interview, some of them, like ones from from Glasgow, I can understand. The ones from uh, Aberdeen or uh, Edinburgh, I'm sort of like, whoa, give me a second. Oh yeah, <laughs> just a quick, just I give me one second. <laughs> I know, asking people to repeat themselves like a third time, you're just like, I'm so sorry. You don't deserve this. You're yeah. not normally. I just your normal is not my normal. <laughs> well, it's, and, and also I think that, do you find yourself drawn to British culture? Do you find yourself go, just organically? Yeah. Yes and no. I think the older I get, the more set in my ways I am. And so it's like, I, I see the thing, you know, I love Yorkshire gold tea and, uh, and beer. And in that way, I'm very British. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but even like the French thing too, is like, oh yeah, of course. But I mean, lots of people like cheese that are not French. It's not, a French, <laughs> That's true. not the French people don't like cheese. <laughs> is your mother, um, your mother is also from the UK? No, my mom is Canadian. Um, okay. we're like born in Canada and, um, her, mom and a lot of my mom's side of the family was born in cape breton oh wow cape breton i interviewed a band from cape cape breton who was it who's the big band from cape isn't there a huge a lot of them i mean there's a lot especially in in that like cape breton um like celtic music it's yeah there's quite quite a a smattering there is. There's a real fraternity. They all and they all know each other and are supportive of each other, which is really, yeah. lovely, really lovely thing. Well, I I um I love your record and I love what you do and I love talking to you. You're such a fun person to talk with. And I'm glad we get your microphone sorted out. How fun was this? <laughs> no, I loved this. It was really really nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. And I hope you'll come back on the show. And I don't know if you guys are touring San Francisco. I'm in San Francisco. I don't know if you guys are coming out this way or what COVID's going to do or who knows. I haven't booked the West Coast stuff yet. Um, I started and then I got depleted. <laughs> Perfectly honest. And then I was watching all, all, all kinds of tours get canceled with this yeah. new experience. So I was just like, mm, blessing and curse, you know. Um, but uh, we're going to Europe at the end of April. And again, um, we're sort of fixing to set something up in Europe in September and October. So if it's not in the summer, it'll be in the fall. I'll start to head. I'm definitely going to head west because I want to go say hi to my pals out there. I think the West Coast would love you. you. Um, Well, I hope you'll come back on. I want to continue this conversation. We'll consider this part one. Love it. I would love to. Thank you. Have a great weekend and thank you for your time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. she great michelle willis i really enjoyed that conversation what a lovely person and uh, we will have her back
You got to pick up the album. Trust me. Have I ever steered you wrong? I haven't, have I? Don't, if I have, don't tell me. I'll feel awful. Uh, this is one of those moments where I'm not going to steer you wrong. Impossible. Just One Voice is the album by Michelle Willis, and it is brilliant. Follow her on Instagram, Bout Willis Music. She's a fun follow. And uh, on her Instagram page are all the places you can go to buy that album. There's even a t-shirt. Get a t-shirt. Buy her first album, too. Get it all. Get the Michelle Willis Power Bundle. You won't be sorry. Uh, AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. No, there's no t-shirts with my face on them. You don't want that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. You can also just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Please check out BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And don't forget... Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell all your friends. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Michelle Willis's Green Gray. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening. To Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. It's silly to say, maybe you make everyone feel this way I'm telling my heart, this ain't no place for love to start Ever since I met you, color's been creeping in Flirting in shadow, paint a light on an old tin Every line you draw, I bend. Every glance you give, I linger. Gray shades waiting on your beckoning. Ooh, ever since I met you, I've been holding out to brush against you. But you got someone at home. It's silly to say, maybe you make everyone feel this way. I'm telling my heart, this ain't no place for love to start. It's silly to say, maybe you make everyone feel Someone at home Silly to say Maybe you make everyone feel this way I'm telling my heart This ain't no place for love to start It's silly to say Maybe you make everyone feel this way If loving you is wrong Then how come you keep hanging on Cause when I'm alone I think of your eyes And how they shine into to tear my gaze away lest you see me falling for the green gray